Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we are going to do a forensic soul analysis on legendary film director and visionary of freedom, Mr. Oliver Stone. We did not have the opportunity to interview Mr. Stone one-on-one yet, but we really hope that he'll give us the chance in the future because there's so many questions we want to ask him. We had the opportunity to talk with people who've worked with him, including people who've been in his films. We are also going to interview our virtues, which are three psychic mediums and astrologer that are going to provide a deeper soul analysis on who Mr. Stone is. It's very fascinating, very happy the way this show turned out. In addition to being an exceptional storyteller, I think Mr. Stone is an exceptional teacher. He has this phenomenal series called The Untold History of the United States, and it's clear he he must have put a million hours of research into it. I think Mr. Stone has a better grasp on most history than most of the people that were a part of that very history he's talking about. When we did the show, you may recall a couple months ago, called The Death Show, we did an 11-hour show about death. I was thinking about how Oliver Stone would go about it, and that's why I made the show that long. That's why we interviewed so many people. So he's definitely had a profound positive impact on the way we do things and the types of questions that we ask. I think he's absolutely fearless. He challenges authority. He's incredible. There's so much we can learn about Mr. Stone. And again, I really do hope one day he'll give us the honor of having the opportunity to interview him. In the meantime, the Outer Limits of Intertooth Radio Show proudly presents a forensic soul analysis on Mr. Oliver Stone. Joining us now is the founder of one of the country's most prominent entertainment PR firms, LCO, Levine Communications Office. This gentleman has worked with over 58 Academy Award winners, and he's considered to be one of the greatest entertainment publicists of his time. Please welcome to the program, Mr. Michael Levine. Thank you for being with us, Michael. Thank you, Ryan. Mr. Levine, what can you tell us about your experience with Mr. Oliver Stone or Mr. Stone's impact on Hollywood? Well, uh, first, I mean, whether you're a fan or not, whether you like his politics or don't, I mean, I I think any reasonable or fair person has to acknowledge that Oliver Stone has been a um, significant uh, force, cultural force in filmmaking over the last 20 years. I mean, he's he's an impressive and impactful filmmaker. One can like his movies, not like his movies. One can uh, decry his politics or love his politics. But it's very hard to ignore him as a significant cultural force over the last 20 years as a filmmaker. I think he uh, um, is an impressive, in many ways, filmmaker. Uh, in, uh, and, and I don't agree with all of his politics, but I do think he has has uh, okay, Mr. Levine, as a risen to the level of significant cultural force. Um, secondarily, I I know Oliver Stone. I don't know him well, but I know him. I've certainly talked to him several times over the last few years. <clears throat> Always very polite to me. Um, maybe a bit more soft spoken than people might, you know, acknowledge or or his. Uh, you know, more uh, vocal political stands, um, soft-spoken, polite, um, a man of uh, of of seeming uh, curiosity. Uh, I've enjoyed the few conversations I've had with him over the last few years. As a communications expert, what do you feel makes Oliver Stone an effective communicator? to his audience through his films? Well, let's agree that Oliver Stone uh, does not paint with pale pastels. He uh, he uses vivid colors, in, and I don't mean literally, but I mean his messages are very vivid. They're provocative. He is, uh, and I think that is the in part uh, the role of an artist, which is to, uh, is to create interesting powerful thought conversations and thought processes. And I think he's risen to that. I mean, whether his movie JFK, I think 
raised a lot of interesting questions in ways that not many people think weren't particularly fair, but I think the purpose of art, um, as I see it, is to is to raise interesting questions, and I think he's done that and provoked conversation. Okay. There are a lot of established directors in Hollywood that are all seemingly making their mark. What do you feel has been Mr. Stone's mark on his career and the legacy that he will be leaving behind? Well, I don't know that he's leaving anything behind right now. Uh seems quite active to me. But um, the, the, I think the point is, is that Oliver has found a way, and the great ones do, to uh, participate in the American conversation beyond that of merely filmmaking. Uh, I mean, Oliver Stone is a is a man who is known outside of Hollywood. He is he has transcended the uh, the American conversation from merely that of filmmaker to cultural force, and uh, that's quite uh, that's quite an impressive feat. Very few people do that. Mr. Michael Levine. Thank you so much for being with us today. And to learn more about Michael Levine and his firm, please go to lcoonline.com, and you can also sign up for his daily e-alert newsletter, which covers the world of news, politics, entertainment, and business. You receive that daily and get the news before it even breaks. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mr. Levine. Thanks, Ryan. Joining us now is two-time Emmy-nominated TV producer, and founder of TVGuestBird.com, Miss Jackie Jordan. Miss Jordan has previously worked with Mr. Stone. And Miss Jordan, what can you tell us about your experience in working with Mr. Stone? I got to meet him in 2006 at the uh, Cannes Film Festival. You know, he's true to form. He's somebody who you know kind of hangs on the outside of you know the Hollywood um, you know the Hollywood circle. And he is somebody who is prolific in telling very controversial. Movies, and I think that much of the movies that he um, writes and directs are very much reflective of, you know, his own childhood, his own life experience, you know, his time in Vietnam. You know, he obviously had a string of movies, you know, like that, and, uh, and he, he kind of tells, you know, like edgy, fringe, um, controversial cultural stories, and he seemed to me and you know in, in meeting him and producing him you know an easy guy to talk to you know very down to earth almost almost shy um who tells these very you know kind of edgy um, you know movies you know and he's he's a legend do you find anything yeah. do you find anything distinctively um that you can come up with as to why he would always choose to go about a controversial route do you feel that are you kind of surprised that here's somebody who's got this incredible reputation that could probably just direct easy films that don't provoke, but uh, would probably give him a substantial, huge paycheck? Well, it's really interesting because if you if you look back at you know what has been published about him in terms of just even how he grew up, he you know he's you know from New York City, um, and his father worked on Wall Street. Uh, he dropped out of Yale University to go to the Vietnam War. Uh, he was introduced to, you know, the influential music of the time, The Doors. Uh, you know, James Cave was shot, you know, during his formative years before he, you know, around the time he went off to um, the Vietnam War. And if you just look at those, that, that all of that pretext became his future movies, uh, The Doors, uh, with, um, was it Vince, um, Oh, I know Meg Ryan was in the movie The Doors with, with, but I forget who the other, who the actual actor was. Um, you know, he did uh, Platoon with Charlie Sheen. Then he did the Born on the Fourth of July with Tom Cruise, which I think Tom Cruise was at very at least nominated. Then he did the Two Wall Streets with uh, Charlie Sheen and Michael Douglas. So just that, and then he did JFK with Kevin Costner. So just the context of his childhood. Became the you know some of the some of his big movies. Val Kilmer was who did was played yeah. Jim Morrison in The Doors. So, but if you look at that, it very much you can see you know what his is you know they. It's almost like the the influences of that part of his life became his later movies. 
Ms. Jackie Jordan, thank you so much for your time. That was a great interview. And to learn more about Ms. Jordan, please go to her website at tbguestbert.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Jordan. Thanks, Ryan. Take care. Joining us now is Best Actress Oscar nominee, Golden Globe winner, Independent Spirit Award winner, and veteran of 150 different films, Ms. Sally Kirkland. Welcome to the program, Ms. Kirkland. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good. You work with Mr. Stone on JFK. I did. I, did. I also about, knew about I knew him. I knew him socially before I worked with him. Okay. Um, we actually met in the 70s, okay. and um, I used to give a lot of parties because I was from New York and I was bored in L.A. And he came to all of my parties. He loved beautiful women. I introduced him to a lot. I was teaching acting when I wasn't acting, and he would come and speak for the students. He was, you know, being a screenwriter then. So your experience with him, you're the veteran of 150 different films. What makes Mr. Stone a unique and powerful director in your experience? Well, I'm very intense, and he's very intense, and it was great to find someone who matched my intensity. And um, uh, Rose Sharami initially was not in the movie. Um and when I called him and said, I got to be in this movie, my mother is friends with John F. Kennedy and Jackie Onassis, and she was fashion editor and senior editor of Life at the time and kept putting, putting uh, Jackie O on the cover. And I've got to be in this movie. And he said, there's no parts. It's all been cast. And I said, you'll find a way. I know you'll find a way. And so he called me because, like I said, we were friends. And he said, well, there are about four women who were assassinated because they knew about the conspiracy. They knew that Kennedy was going to be shot. And um, he said, why don't you come into my office and improvise all four women? And I'm not sure I remember all four. One was a doctor. One was Dorothy Kilgallen. One was um, a very famous Chicago talk show host, his daughter, and one was Rose Sharami, who worked for Jack Ruby as a um, drug runner and stripper and probably call girl. And um, so I came in with a suit and worked my way down to a G-string and tassels, you know, and did all four women. And when it came to Rose Sharami, he said, you're on heroin withdrawal. And so the, the tears started streaming down my face and, and he said, how did you do that? And I said, well, I've been, you know, a method actor with the Actors Studio since the 60s. And, um, you know, we're very good at that. And um, so he hired me on the spot to play Rosh Rami. And then he said, no matter what, you mustn't tell anybody about the shoot because I'm already getting threats on my life <clears throat> until after it comes out. And so we all signed a, waiver to the contract that we wouldn't talk about it well in your experience you've worked with you know you've done so many films do you find that mr stone is somebody who takes an unusual amount of chances would you consider him a less than conservative director and do you think he's somebody who could probably rest in his laurels on the success that he has and kind of like phone it in or do you feel that he's actively taking as many chances now no he takes a lot of chances he does incredible research I mean, he just did incredible research. And um, I don't think I've ever been in a movie, except for his, where um, I was shot in 8, 16, 35, black and white and color all at once, you know. Um, And and he uh, he's just extraordinarily intense. You, You have to go into the zone with him. He doesn't small talk, you know. It's just all about the work. And, um... He, he, I don't know how else to describe him. There was a book that came out called Stone, and I believe they did a few pages on me. Um, and I probably remembered more back then than I am remembering now. But he was extremely respectful because, like I said, um, over the years he had talked to all of my students um, as a screenwriter, and he had come to all of my parties um, as a friend. And so... Um, it it wasn't an accident that I got that role. I mean, he really did that. I, I sent him flowers. I sent Kevin Costner flowers. I said, you got to put me in this movie. 
and you know he really he really just gave it to me and then newsweek when they came out the opening line of the uh review was the most authentic moment in the film JFK was Roshirami which was kind of great in your experience working with him what has been Mr. Stone's impact on your career and what has he taught you what did you learn and grasp from working with him that ultimately made you a better actress? Well, he you have to be ready. You you can't dawdle, you know? I mean, you have to be ready for anything. I remember that I had asked the makeup and hair people and asked the makeup person to put heroin, you know, markings all over my arms, being the method actress that I am. And suddenly somebody was there with a telephone uh, piece in my ear and it was Oliver however many miles away at the location saying Sally are you ready and I said oh yeah I was just putting heroin marks on my arm and he said are you ready and I said yes anything you say and there was a car and they whisked me to the location and you know you get the picture you know you, you couldn't suddenly like take time out to do your ideas it was all about what he wanted when he wanted it and then he asked me, how do you want to shoot this, which, which was extraordinary. I mean, a lot of directors don't ask you how, they, how you want to shoot it, that's you know. That's, that's pretty amazing. Ms. Kirkland, thank you so much for your time. And where can people learn more about you? Well, there's sallykirkland.com. And um, there's a Archaeology of a Woman page. Right now I'm, I'm still... Uh, contestant, is that what you say, for the Oscars this year, according to Deadline Magazine and George Pinocchio on Channel 7. It's a long shot and a dark, dark horse, but I, um, and, you know, 1,300 DVDs went out to the actors branch of the Academy, and so they vote this week. So that's my big film that I starred in that opened in New York and then L.A. fairly recently, and, um, I'm on Twitter, Sally underscore Kirkland. I have a, a radio show. I do HealthyLife.net every Monday from 10 to 11 uh, Pacific time and 1 to 2 Eastern time. And that's about it. That's, that's just about it, Ms. Kirkland. It was truly an honor to speak with you and to have you on our show. Thank you so much. And I just want to say that I loved working with Oliver Stone. I mean, it was just absolutely a brilliant experience. Thank you. Joining us now is the Avalon Lake surfer, globally respected psychic medium, Miss Carrie O'Connor. We can learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Miss O'Connor, what can you tell us about Mr. Oliver Stone? Oliver Stone is a fascinating energy field. He was really born to be a communicator, shake people up. There's a part of, I was sharing with you yesterday off the air, that you send for the woman who does the astrology. And I was looking at his chart briefly, and I'm not an astrology expert at all, but what was amazing to me is that he's got a um, scorpion rising, and so that scorpion energy, the rising is the energy we put out uh, to the world. And that scorpion can go deep, and so I'm not surprised he goes deep into issues. He's not afraid to rattle a few cages, you know, or, <laughs> or bring up controversy. It's all in that's again, it's like almost like his energetic personality or the energy that he brings out to the world. It's his world face, and that scorpion energy supports him to go way deep down. And again, he's not afraid to rattle. His son is Virgo, so that he also has a place of truth and justice, and he has like this energetic sword that he wants to cut through the BS and really share with people the truth and justice or what he feels is the truth and injustice. And he's got this real, um, like a bull-like energy where he, he just is a, is a worker, you know. He just will push through any kind of block to get um, the things done. Huge, huge speaker. He's the, he comes in as a, I call it the bridger energy that is here to wake up people and, again, have them think of things that they might not have thought about. He gives them like this really good food for them to digest and they could throw out what they don't like and um, take in what they like. Uh, do you have any uh, any reaction about what his previous lifetime, any of his previous lifetimes may have been? I see him in the arts a lot. I saw one that was very influential that he did a lot of writing, and I see that very much. Actually, I just saw this Ireland um, poet, Ir an Irishman, and that he was very much a um, 
actually it looks like a very sad lifetime where he shows me like pubs are being very much alone and it seemed like something similar to um, Edgar Allan Poe. So he's had many lifetimes in the creative arts, in the arts, and he um, he also has done where he's felt very, very um, lonely, alone, or so the dark side. Uh, he's, his energy fields just show me the um, the, uh, the Van Gogh who cut his ear off. So he has had those intense incarnations, right, where they really are so creative, but they're almost like too much ahead of their time that they could be known as going crazy, that kind of thing. But he's also had other lifetimes where he has, like, I'm just watching him coming in with this incarnation, knowing that he's here to be a flashlight to a lot of people, to awaken them out of their um, opinions that could be very narrow, give a broader view of things, and um, and that's from a previous lifetime, too. He was a very big communicator. I also saw a lifetime that he was in politics in France, and this was a time of, like, revolutionary war, that kind of thing, and I'm watching him, again, putting up this energetic sword, and he's not afraid to go to battle, and I'm also seeing there's, a, um, like, a, a coup or surprise betrayal attack that happened, and that scars him. It's like a, an X over his heart, and it's interesting that he even volunteered for the war in this lifetime and went right in the forefront and, um, and has a purple heart, and, and that's definitely from influences from that lifetime. Do you feel that the forces of control that would seek to suppress humanity and seek to suppress ideas and seek to suppress any um, longing or hope for freedom are fearful of Oliver Stone and fearful of what his capability is to connect with an audience, to inspire an audience, and to actively captivate an audience to think that would normally not engage in particular issues? When you think about some of his uh, movies and films that he's done and uh, very popular series about American history that he has on cable television, it seems that all these things right. are getting people to think. But do you think that uh, the, the, the powers that be, so to say, are fearful of what he may do or what his potential yeah. is? Yeah, absolutely. When any kind of darker energy that wants to be like hidden and aloof or they just are um, – they know the the trickeries of making himself invisible in a dark way. He comes in as a great big light um, flashlight that goes right into those corners. He's not afraid to look in the dark and and, and challenge the dark energy. And and I see that darker energy kind of shrinking back because they don't want to be exposed, you know. And people will wake up. It's like he's taking. Um, off these glasses where it looks like uh, humanity has blind man glasses on where we just believe what we hear and I call it, you know, we become the human doings where we're kind of just doing our what we're told to do, you know, you live, get a job, get a pension, all that stuff, and he's breaking that away. He's saying, get your blindness off and start challenging. Ask yourself, can that be really true? Or just, he's, he, I keep on seeing him shaking people's roots, right down to the root chakra, and he's not afraid to go right to the dark and, and put that big old light there, not afraid to speak up about it. And again, the part of him that was the politician during this major, you know, the French Revolution, he really, it's like he had unfinished business, wasn't able to speak, was a grand planner and strategist, and he comes in here to strategize against the, the dark, to keep, enlighten people, and again, have them become more aware of their current circumstances. Uh, and one last final question for uh, Mr. Stone is that, is there anything he could be working on in this lifetime that would, let's say, better protect himself, better protect his spirit, and actually um, escalate or speed up his evolution and help him achieve his evolutionary goals even faster. Well, what's interesting that when I look at his energy field, he keeps on showing me this X again over the top of his heart. So that shows me again that sometimes we come in where I call it a past life hangover or residual energy that is profoundly affecting this lifetime. And it does have to do with what I call surprise betrayal attacks, so where I keep on seeing that. Um, a coup attacked him where people were betraying him, where people, I mean, that he really trusted. There was a major, major betrayal. And so there's a part of him that he comes in here to be able to heal that, literally heal the energy of um, afraid of people that are in his inner circle being able to flip around. And um, I'm sure he keeps his inner circle very, very tight, right? And I'm sure that sometimes they have to go through the ringer to really get his um, his trust. But then as soon as he pulls them in and, um, and gives his trust, there is such a profound sense of um, trust, loyalty. But they might have to go through the ringer at first. Wow. Ms. Carrie O'Connor, that was an amazing, amazing, insightful analysis. Thank you so much. And to learn more about Ms. Carrie O'Connor, please go to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Thank you, Ms. O'Connor.
Thank you very much, Ryan. As always, wonderful time. Joining us now is the angel reader and past life seer, Miss Laura Lynn. To learn more about Miss Laura Lynn by going to her website at angelreader.net. Miss Lynn, what can you tell us about the life of Mr. Oliver Stone? Well, Oliver Stone is certainly very captivating, very deep. I enjoy his works that he's puts together. I really felt good about trying to tap in or going within his uh, journey, if you will. And I did pick up a couple things that I really enjoyed about his past life, lives, if you will. The last life that I picked up was in Germany where he was a Jew. And this lifetime, actually, he really fared well. It was, uh, his father was a store owner and he seemed to continue with that legacy. He died in probably early 1900, but he did actually fare well. There's somehow that family just really attained, um, strength through each other. And he, it felt as if he, learned a lot about not only the deep religion and the culture of his family, but also the culture of the community and carried that legacy on. Okay. Wow. And what would you say about his, has he fulfilled all of his goals you think of in this lifetime? Do you think he's made the maximum impact or think he's going to impact more lives in this lifetime? I feel like he's going to impact many more lives and carry on, more his spiritual idealism. Um, I was picking up a lot about his past life before he lived in, in the Jewish family. I also have him in Tibet. And I feel like in this lifetime, there's going to be a lot of work that he's going to do later in, later down the line with bringing a revelation about freeing Tibet, freeing that space, uh, I feel like he was either a monk or an admirer, uh, was taught by a monk. I'm not sure. I wasn't sure if it, if he was actually, um, lived as a role of a monk, but I certainly felt like he was captivated by one and mentored by one for sure. And learned a lot about the ways of meditation and being free in that space. And I feel like later on he's going to help Tibetans in this lifetime, uh, at least if, if not in a revelation of, of getting, of awareness, I feel like he may go to Tibet and actually help families. Wow. And financially, um, maybe a whole village. In are, Tibet. There, are there any particular spirit guides or, uh, departed relatives you feel are around him that are influencing him? Well, I had a strong influence around him. Well, two of them actually. And one is completely away from Tibet, which was a little bit puzzling, but um, one is Yogananda uh, that speaks to him or through him, Yogananda. Yogananda was a visionary. Uh, he, he was wonderful with trance and meditation. And then also I had uh, another spirit guide that, that influences it named Parish, which I believe is an uh, Indian also. Okay. And what about, are there any relatives that you think might be hanging around him at all? Feels like I have a grandfather presence with him that was uh, perhaps very close to him um, on his mother's side. I, if he wasn't very close to him, um, at least it's on a physical level, he certainly was a watcher and took care of him as a guardian in the spirit level. Uh, that's who I'm capturing mostly. Sure. Do you think that, that grandfather might be potentially influencing him or being a big factor in what he's doing? At least keeping him safe, you know, helping him be in places that are, are going to be, uh, productive for his life, orchestrating things in the background to help him with opportunities. Excellent. And, uh, last question I have, Miss Lynn, is where do you see Mr. Stone? Uh, trajectory for his upcoming life after this one? I felt like he's going to be an author. Uh, he's going to be writing books about peace, uh, about uh, oneness. And, you know, I really feel like he's going to go into 
a deep spiritual set for his future life and discover that at a deep level. Wow. That's really great. Miss Laura Lynn, that was a great analysis. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to learn more about Miss Lynn, please go to her website at angelreader.net. Thank you so much, Miss Lynn. Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium, Miss Lisa McGarity. You can learn more about Miss McGarity by going to her website at Lisa, L-A-S-A, McGarity, M-C-G-A-R-R-I-T-Y.com. Miss McGarity, what can you tell us about the life of Mr. Oliver Stone? Well, Mr. Oliver Stone, as you call him, is definitely an interesting person. And I'm sure if I were sitting with him or talking with him, he would never describe himself as a mystic. But that is how I see him. I see him as a real student of humanity, somebody who wants to learn what the story of being on planet Earth is all about. And that's why he became a professional storyteller, so he can figure out what drives people, what the good ones, the bad ones. He's curious about them all and just wants to understand them all. And do you feel that he is fulfilling his true potential or is there more potential that he's yet to fulfill in this life? I feel like he's definitely in process in terms of meeting his whole human potential. He wants to be a storyteller. He wants to um, reach as many people with humanity as he possibly can and open folks' hearts. And that is what he does. That's what he does in his career. I feel like one of the things he'll step into in the coming years of his life is being a mentor to other storytellers, so other filmmakers, other creative people. I see him reaching out to so many and really trying to help bring them along financially and practically, so he'll do both. All right. Are there any departed spirits that you feel may have had a substantial impact on his life and his development in this time or have been with him in some of his greatest hour of needs, greatest time of needs? I am told that he walks with an ancestor, his own ancestor. It's a, another man, so I'm sure there are loved ones in spirit who are female as well. But I see him with a fatherly type figure who walks beside him and is just kind of nudging him, whispering in his ear, telling him, no, try this, go here, meet this person. And I think he would describe it as a gut instinct. He would say, oh, I'm a guy, I just follow my instincts. But to my eyes, it looks like he's being leaded, leaded? Right. well, he's being led, rather, by um, this paternal, very protective spirit. Do you think it could be a, a grandfather? Or... I do believe it is a grandfather, yes. Okay. All right. And you know what? I was going to ask you, are there any other – are there any spirit guys that are around him that are guiding him that have been with him from previous lifetimes? Or is he dealing with an entirely different set of spirit guides for this life? Yeah. I actually feel that this is an important lifetime for him. Um, inspired by previous incarnations here, but no, he's he's got a fresh batch of spirit guides who walk with him this time to try and help him accomplish his very big goals. Uh, is there any idea about to who he was in the, in the last life before he came here? You know, I'm almost afraid. I was afraid that you were going to ask me that because when I was asked to be shown what lives prior to this, you know, are really informing him and pushing him, I got the most interesting imagery coming into me. I sh I was shown him being. Um, actually working as a slave and being in a very wealthy household in what, to my eyes, looked like Roman times. I'm not 100% certain. But because he was so low status, he was almost invisible. And he could listen to the conversations and he could watch people meet up with their lovers and their enemies and listen to political stories. And he really enjoyed being able to watch all of this unfold around him and kind of go, come and go unnoticed. So I feel it was that lifetime that inspired him to become a storyteller in this lifetime. Wow, that's really interesting. And do mm. you have any idea of where he might turn up for his next life or what his next uh, next life trajectory is? I think it's really going to depend on how this life finishes. So we have to give him a chance. He's far from done. Okay. <laughs> He's got a lot more to do here. That's wonderful. Miss Lisa McGarity, that was a great analysis. Uh, Mr. Oliver Stone, and to learn more about Miss McGarity, we can go to her website at Lisa McGarity, L I S A McGarity, M C G A R R I T Y dot com. Thank you so much, Miss Lisa. Thank you, Ryan. Joining us now is the astrophenom, our astrologer, Miss Constance Stellis. Learn more about Miss Stellis by going to her website at constantstellis dot com. Miss Ellis, what can you tell us about the life of Mr. Oliver Stone? Well, there is one thing rather um, unusual about um, Mr. Stone's chart. First of all, he is a Virgo. That's not unusual. His moon sign is Taurus. 
which is a uh, an exalted position for the moon. Uh, it gives grounding and it gives great creativity. And his um, rising sign is Scorpio, very intense, and in fact, um, very close to the same rising sign that Robin Williams had. Now, that doesn't mean that the the life is going to unfold in exactly the same way. A lot of people have Scorpio rising, but it gives intensity. But the thing that is unusual is that his son, at 22 degrees of Virgo, is exactly conjunct, in other words, on top of Mercury at 22 degrees of Virgo. And this is rare. Um, and uh, 22 degrees, uh, 22 is a spiritual number, and Virgo and Mercury, Mercury being the messenger god, are connected. So his uh, expression of his creativity um, goes from the heights to the depths, but express he must, come what may. And so, um, you know, a lot of his movies kind of feel out this conspiracy threat and, and all sorts of um, nefarious things behind the scenes. And uh, I think that the the ability to express that, that that's not a psychological fear of his, but that that is something that is creatively uh, important to him and really a message to everyone who sees the movies and himself uh, and the world perhaps that, you know, such things are possible. Um, and we should be a little bit vigilant. Um, he will um, remain well-known even after his death, and I think that, uh, in fact, he may be even more well-known after his death, which is not anytime soon, uh, than, than he is now. And he's doing pretty well now, so yeah. that's going to be quite a legacy. Um, he also has um, a lot of yin planets in his chart, yin being the receptive um, uh, signs as opposed to the assertive signs. And in fact, his Venus and his Mars are reversed. I, I shouldn't say reversed. It's called, uh, um, it's called mutual reception. So Mars, the ag uh, aggressive planet, um, is not in a good sign, Libra, and Venus, the um, recessive or, or uh, yin planet is in Scorpio. So they are in each other's rulers. It helps him out in terms of sensitivity. And I don't know too much about his personal life. However, I, I imagine it's pretty <laughs> dicey. And um, uh, he and ladies and, and women and wives have had their ups and downs, we'll say. Uh, and do you think that on the creative expressionism front that he has um, he's he's got other big projects to work on. He's got other big projects that will potentially change the reality and change the way people perceive certain realities. It's very that. possible because he he I don't know what he's up to right now, but he has this kind of lightning strikes uh, streak in his chart of of you know when when he he rides on something it seems to come out of the blue, but he's been uh, thinking about it for a while. And he's very much in tune with the currents that are, are going around uh, the world. So when he gathers this together to make a film, to write a book, I mean, basically, he's a filmmaker, um, it, yeah, it will shake things up. It will shake things up. He does not have an easy time creating, but create he must. Okay, wow. That was great. Miss Constance Tellis, the Astro Phenom. That was a wonderful and amazing analysis. And to learn more about Miss Tellis, please go to her, web, her website at ConstanceTellis.com. Thank you so much, Miss Tellis. My pleasure. Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium, Miss Lisa Kaza. You can learn more about Miss Kaza by going to her website at Lisa, L-E-S-A, Kaza, C-A-Z-A, dot com. Miss Kaza, what can you tell us? about Mr. Oliver Stone? The very first thing that came forward for me was actually his two most prominent animal totems, and they are the buffalo and the owl. Now, the owl is uh, a lot more prominent than the buffalo is. And so with that said, uh, Mr. Stone has probably had a lot of late nights throughout his life. 
Um, that's one unfortunate aspect of having owl as a totem. I had one myself, and yeah, it kind of contributed to my insomnia for a good year. So, so poor uh, poor Mr. Stone is probably having to deal with that. Okay, so but, uh, you were saying, what is that? Is there a positive? What are some of the positive and negatives of uh, being a person who likes to be involved in late night? Well, with owl, this is what I was getting to. Firstly. Um, both totems uh, show uh, not only a link to Akashic Records, but also, you know, extremely old wisdom. But with Owl, uh, this gives Mr. Stone the ability to to see and hear what others try to hide. Um, he can hear what isn't being said or what's being hidden or in the shadows. And he can detect and, and pinpoint subtleties, which of course, makes makes other people uncomfortable because they can't deceive him with any of their motives or, or actions or, or anything like that. So Mr. Stone has this incredibly unique ability to, to literally see into another person's uh, uh, soul and, and life. And that's actually fueling his fire or desire, as I call it, um, for seeking out the truth and presenting broader a broader perspective or a perspective um, that's not thought of by other people, and this is why a lot of his um, movies have been uh, called rather controversial, and it's because he brings forth the truth about you know certain events or people, and of course you know the the truth hurts especially when it doesn't agree with a person's beliefs or views or perspectives. And to be quite honest, I have the full belief that uh, Mr. Stone actually enjoys that. He, he enjoys, enjoy oh yeah, he loves the, the talk that, you know, saying is controversial. But you know why? It's because, well, like with anything, with any public figure, including ourselves, publicity is publicity is publicity. It doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. Uh, <laughs> it's still publicity. Therefore, it gets people talking. Well, you know, maybe, and and that's what he's about. So I need to pause you there for one second because you're saying that, okay, well, he makes a lot of people maybe uncomfortable because he brings out the truth. But I'm curious to know what exactly is the truth? Is what he's bringing out truth that is known unto him, or tr- uh, absolute truth? Like, what is it about what well, he's doing that uh, pales in comparison to what is you know absolute truth? Well. It's funny you said that because just before we talked just now, I was thrown the message, um, always three sides to a story. So let's take, for example, in a relationship, this is an example, a relationship breaks up. Well, there's always his side of the story, her side of the story, and then there's the middle. There's the truth. And so that's kind of where Mr. Stone is coming from. He's What he's trying to do like as another example, let's take, for example, um, Princess Diana. There's been a lot of talk, you know, how beloved she was. Um, always, you know, you always see articles, pictures, movies regarding her life and her perspective. Well, Mr. Stone, in his mind, for example, if that were him making a, a movie, which, by the way, I'm going to get to in a second because I got one heck of an awesome message for him from spirit um if he were to make that make a movie well he wouldn't take diana's perspective he would take another perspective he he likes to tell stories from the perspective of somebody else that mainstream media or just us general population don't consider so this is what i mean by him like his way of doing things he likes to broaden the perspective of the population, see more of a picture here instead of just one side or the other side. That's what he's been trying to do throughout a lot of his movies. Like, for example, perfect example is the World Trade Center, that movie that he had done there. He's told a story from a perspective that none of us had really considered. The same with uh, natural born killers or JFK. It's uh, he's telling things from a per, from a perspective that most people aren't seeing, or or for whatever reason, 
not wanting to see. So this is where the truth comes out. More of the truth comes out. You get more of the truth in any kind of situation when you look at things from different perspectives. So, and this is actually going back to a past life that I was shown. Okay, what was that? Um, well, the past life I was shown, uh, he was... Uh, The best way to describe it is almost like a record keeper, but it was in the, uh, the Roman uh, Roman time, but um, actually working, I believe it was the Vatican because I keep I, I keep seeing the pine cone, <laughs> that the historical pine cone. I keep seeing that. So he was working there, and I do believe under the time of Pope Alexander. And now, now I'm I don't know my history in that respect, so I don't know what time frame that actually is, but he was, um, like, I see him standing, literally standing beside the Pope Alexander, and he would call council to order, um, announce newcomers and things of that nature, but he was also a record keeper or a journaler because I see him in private in a small room uh, being dictated to and writing, writing about events, writing about life trials. I'm not exactly sure who he's, uh, uh, writing, of, uh, taking the dictation from. I'm wondering, because I can't see clearly enough, if it was the Pope himself, I'm not sure. However, um, he didn't like their quote-unquote version of the truth or the, event, the events, that everything that he was writing down. So aside from his job in, in that position, he actually kept his own records. He would journal everything. Every day or every other day, he'd be writing. Because I just see books and books and books, papers amongst papers of him writing. And apparently, um, to this day, a lot of what he's written down is actually available to us today somehow. A lot of documents or a lot of the history. Um, so he's so talking not Who's this person that he was? Is there a way to actually, does a name or a person come to mind that uh, Mr. Stone can actively search for to figure out who this person was? That's what I'm thinking. I think that if we do look uh, hard enough, I think we would actually be able to come up with an actual name. I myself don't, I can't, I can't uh, hear time, or what anything. What time frame? What, but rough. the most... Pope Alexander, that's what I hear, is Pope Alexander. Now, when his reign was, I don't know for sure. But, um, yeah, see, I'm trying to, 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 to get a name, and I just can't uh, get stuck. But the, the thing that we need to focus on is his position in relation to Pope Alexander. He was working directly with Pope Alexander. I see him standing beside him. And he would, like, for example, call council to order because I see lots of cardinals. Like, there's Pope Alexander, and he's standing beside him. And then right in front of them, there's a huge, huge, like, a boardroom. And there's, like, 12 to 20 different uh, cardinals, I guess you could say, because they're all, all dressed in red, um, sitting in front of them. So it's like a conference of sorts or a council. And I see him calling it to order announcing newcomers before they enter the door, things of that nature. So if we focus on his duties in that respect, I think that if we do some digging, we can definitely figure out what his name was back then because he was quite prominent. Okay. And you said, is there a specific message you said that the Spirit, the spirit had for Mr. Stone? Yes, and I get very, very excited when I, when I even just think about this. Um, the first thing I'll say is that uh, what he has been doing on this earth in this life incarnation, he has been meant to do. That's very, very obvious. But he is being encouraged to continue. I do feel that he's tired, and I do feel that he does have a few of ideas swirling about in that mind of his, but he just can't quite focus, and I'm not sure why. But the message that gets me so excited is if we go back to uh, what I said a few minutes ago about Princess Diana, he, there's a suggestion, this is just merely a suggestion, 
for him to actually pursue to get him going again with with the movies and the truth telling, get him out of this, I guess you could say almost like a writer's block kind of thing that I feel in him. Focus on Charles and the perspective of Charles. So tell the story from Charles's perspective instead of Diana's or the Queen's for that matter. Let's. If you want to talk about controversial? That'll be controversial, and that'll really <laughs> make you know. So, and the thing is, what I heard, I do not know who is saying this to me. It could. I'm wondering if it could. I'm picking up like a male figure spirit, whether it's his father or grandfather. I hear literally word for word. If anyone can pull this off, it'll be him. And so I get so excited when I when, when I focus on that message, uh, going you know trying to put out the story from Charles's perspective of his life and you know his life with Diana and everything else. Wow, that I think that that would be a huge huge success for him. Yes, it's going to be controversial, but you know, like I said earlier, Mr. Stone, I think loves that. Because, again, publicity is publicity. It doesn't matter if it's negative or positive. It's still all the same. It'll get people talking. And he loves it. So I think that that would be a huge, huge step for him, a very successful one. Fantastic. Miss Lisa Casa, thank you so much for your great analysis on Mr. Oliver Stone. And to learn more about Miss Casa and to have a reading with Miss Casa, you want to go to our website. At lisacaza.com. Thank you so much, Miss Casa. Oh, thanks so much, Ryan. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Minute Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our incredible guests, and special thanks as always to our virtues Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Laura Lynn, Miss Constance Dallas, and Miss Lisa Casa. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Minute Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. And by the way, coming up in the next couple of weeks, we've got Mr. Frank Vincent coming on. And, of course, we've got our second annual Christmas Spectacular Show. Thank you so much for listening. And take good care.